Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast, Below the Surface. I'm your host, Caroline Mason, and let's dive into today's topic, which is mental health. So today I'm going to be speaking with Gianna Lorino, and she's going to be sharing her story about mental illness and mental health and her experience with that, as well as the stigma around it and a lot of other things. It's obviously a pretty loaded topic and there's a lot to unpack there. So we talk for a while and we talk about a lot of different things, but um, as uncomfortable as it may feel to hear something so personal, I encourage you once again, just like I did last week, to... um, to continue listening because as uncomfortable as sometimes it is to hear people talk about things like that, it's also how we grow and uh, her story is really a beautiful one and it's very special and inspiring and I'm just so grateful that she wanted to share it with me. Um, She actually reached out to me right when I had started the podcast and I think something she said that I wish I could just literally type up and put on my wall and print it out and I probably can but um Something she said was, I've been waiting for a place or a time to tell my story and this seems like the perfect opportunity. Um, And if there's anything that I want to do with this podcast, it's I want to provide a space where people feel like their stories can be heard and um, their stories can be listened to and learned from. So I'm so excited for y'all to hear this conversation. We we definitely get, it gets heavy, but um, yeah, like I said, it's important to break the the stigma and also the idea that everybody is perfect and nobody has anything going on behind the scenes. I think this conversation is sort of the perfect example to debunk that lie and, and remind everybody that um, social media is edited and it is filtered and um, everybody has stuff going on behind the scenes. So, Kindness is important and empathy is important. So I hope that y'all listen to this and um, really try to learn because there's so much to learn from what she has to share. There's so much to learn from her story. And um, whether you have or haven't struggled with mental illness, I think it's important to know how to be there for somebody and empathize with somebody that you know that's struggling. Um, And empathize and be there for yourself as well. So yeah, I, I... it really is a special conversation and I'm going to stop talking about it so that y'all can listen to it because Gianna has um, an amazing story to tell and she's very special and very inspiring. All right. Hey, Gianna. Hello. Um, thank you so much for being here today and Um, I'm really excited to talk to you. I wanted to have a conversation on mental illness as one of my first um, episodes and you reached out to me and that was really exciting. So I'm I'm just so glad that you like offered up your story and um, to share it because I think it's really cool. I actually, we're not like super close so I actually don't know the details of anything. So I'm going to be hearing it for the first time um, just like everybody else's. So um, yeah, I and then I have a couple questions and stuff like that, but for now, I just want you to kind of, like, take it away and tell a little bit about how you, um, sort of just your struggle with mental illness throughout your life and, and if there was a breaking point and what that was like. Okay, so really my first exposure to any kind of depressive episode or mental illness was growing up, I was watched by my grandparent, my mama, um, she was incredibly depressed throughout her life and was bedbound 
to a chair and hoarded around herself. So dealing with that for a long time and taking care of her at a really young age made me mature a lot faster, but it also exposed me to a lot of really depressive tendencies that I had to make myself do basically to like get through having to deal with that. And um, my father has depression, undiagnosed, but it's obvious. And my mom has anxiety and neither of them ever really did anything to help themselves. They just kind of thought of it as a negative thing that they would have to deal with themselves. And my first real experience with like feeling depression myself was I was in fourth grade and my cousin, he was 15 or 16 and he got hit by a car and I was in the hospital with him for like a week with all my, with my whole family. And that was the first time that I genuinely felt like depressed and like, I just didn't want to be on the world anymore. And it was, a, I was very young and it was very hard for me to go through, especially cause I just, since I was so young, I didn't have any idea what was going on. And that really was my first intro into feeling depressed. And it just got worse when I like hit puberty and like all of my hormones started going crazy. Yeah. So, so then what kind of made you realize, so you, so did you recognize it when you were younger, like in fourth grade, did you identify that as depression or did you just know that you were like sad? I think that as I got older, I recognized it as depression when I, when I was experiencing it. I think I was just feeling some kind of self-hate for myself. I didn't think that I knew what depression was because it's not something that's talked about. And you were so young. Yeah. You were also only in fourth grade. It's not something that's talked about around, like, really young people. And so I really, no, I didn't know that that's what I was going through. But, like, as I got older, I realized that that's when it first happened and, like, what I could have done almost to, like, help it. So do you just want to tell me a little bit about, or I mean the entire story if you feel comfortable about how you went to the hospital and everything like that? Yeah, so my first, well I guess my first experience was in fourth grade, but like my largest and deepest depression was in the beginning of junior year, around August, and I had been feeling depressed for like a long time before that because I was trapped in a relationship that I didn't necessarily want to be in, but I wanted to love so much more than I actually did. And I was with somebody who just was toxic for myself. And I felt like I was being objectified for my body rather than being cared about as a person or as a girlfriend. So I was just developing further into my depression because of that. And I had no one else to talk to because when I was dealing with the depression, I isolated myself and I let go of all of my friends. And I have always admitted that, that as I got further into that relationship, I was only focused on that one person and I left everyone else behind. And since I had no one, I had nowhere to go to. All, the only person I could go to was him. And he did the best that he could, but he wasn't a professional. professional. He didn't right. know how to help me. And... So I initially started self-harming in August of 2019. And that was when I, and I, I didn't ever self-harm because I wanted to kill myself or anything. I really, I was just so emotionally in pain that I felt like the only way for me to feel something different was to experience some kind of physical pain rather than inflicting emotional pain on myself. Mm -hmm. 
So I started cutting myself, and obviously that was overwhelming for him. And, like, while I regret kind of involving him in that, you know, it's something that if, you know, like, if somebody was there for you, like, he, he went through it with me. You didn't have anyone else. No. You said that. I yeah. didn't have anyone else to do it, and it just, my parents, I'd, I'd reached out for help with them. The first time I asked for therapy was when I was in fifth grade, and... I was met with no response, nothing. Um, I tried to get therapy a freshman year with a school therapist, and she only called me in once, and she told me she would call me in after that, and she never did. So I kind of just gave up, and I turned to him, and he wasn't able to help me. So the second time I self-harmed was in September, and the day after, I talked to him in his car in the morning, and I was like, I am going to go to the mental health professional at school, and I am going to talk to her and try to figure out how I can get help, and I didn't talk to him for the rest of the day. So, um, in homeroom, things started to get bad on that, it was a Friday, so in homeroom, things started to get bad for me, and I just started feeling really, really depressed, and I was like, I'm Mr. Bergeron, I'm going to the office, I need to go talk to somebody, and he was like, okay, so I went, and I sat down, and she really tried to dig out of me everything that I was feeling. And, I mean, I appreciated it, and I appreciated someone listening to me, but it was almost like I was being dealt with more of, like, as a problem than someone to actually be, like, helping me. They were trying to help me so much that it felt like they were pushing me, and it felt like I was being treated like I was a problem. Mm -hmm. And so she pulled out like a suicide checklist, which is how they decide if somebody is suicidal in their eyes. And the main thing that constitutes for someone being suicidal is having some kind of plan or having some way of carrying out their suicide. So I initially told her as soon as I went in there, I told her I was not looking to go to a mental hospital. I was not looking to kill myself. Like I just wanted some kind of help. And she told me okay. And she told me that I wasn't going there and everything was going to be fine. And so I answered her questions. I told her that I didn't have a plan to kill myself or anything like that. And I was completely fine. I was never going to do that to myself because I value myself too highly. And she asked me a hypothetical question after that, asking me that if I was to kill myself, what would I do? And I told her that I would shoot myself because... As a logical person, the first thing that I would do is just answer a question to the best of my ability, and that was the best answer to me at the time. So I answered a question, and then my mom wasn't called at all to talk to me during this whole time, and she talked, she stepped out of the room and went to the the police officer at the school and basically told him that I was going to the hospital. And then she walked back in, she called my mom and told her that she had to come to the school immediately. And my mom wasn't really told why she got there. And then um, the mental health professional told her basically that I had scored highly on some kind of suicide checklist that they have to fill out for people. So we were never given a choice whether we wanted to go there at all, whether we wanted to find external help somewhere else. So your mom wasn't even given a choice? No. My mom 
by signing the paperwork that she signed at the ER, she was basically giving away her parental rights to my health care in that situation. So, from there, I mean, my mom was very angry at me, and we were escorted to the hospital, to the emergency room, by the school police officer, and when we got there, he didn't he didn't say that he was, like, sorry for me or anything. He just said that he was sorry for my mom that she had to go through this. So, again, I felt like I was being treated, like, more of a problem than right. someone who needs help. And... Was your mom mad at you because you brought it to the school? Or, like, why do you think... She wanted me to bring it to the school. Because okay. she said that we didn't have the finances to pay for me to go to any kind of therapy. So, mm-hmm. I, I knew that... I almost knew that that's where I was going to end up because okay. of how severe everything was, but I didn't want to end up there. So I I asked the school for help, and, you know, that's where I ended up going. She was mad at me because she knew it was going to be expensive, mm. way more expensive than a therapist would have been, which is kind of her own fault in that situation. Because I asked multiple times, and she was upset with me because I didn't tell her. But I didn't tell her because... Every time I've said something, no one listened. Right. Obviously. So, I didn't feel like I needed to tell her, and I felt like I had to go to somebody external for help. Yeah, and it's it's hard enough being vulnerable about something like that and opening up, but then when somebody tells you it's not important enough, like, that's so scary, it, it makes sense why yeah. you're... It's, like, obviously I'm to not gonna want to go and tell both of my parents. Right. So, whenever I, would like, checked into the emergency room at Lakeview, um, everybody was very... Like, they were telling my mom how sorry they were for her. They were looking at me, and they were just, like, I felt like I was being judged Mm -hmm. a lot for what I was going through because they knew what I was there for. And I was, like, put in a room, and they did my blood work and everything, and then a doctor who was on the ER staff came in, and he did, like, a five-minute examination, and then he decided that I was a harm to myself after... Just, like, looking at me having a panic attack and, you know, kind of going over everything. And then I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. And I do feel like I fit into those categories. Like, I do feel like that's what I'm dealing with. But I don't think that the doctor handled it in the right way. I think he could have talked to me a lot longer, but he didn't. Talked to me for five minutes and then decided what my plan was going to be. And then I was there for about five hours before I heard really anything about what would be happening to me. I knew that I would be going to a hospital somewhere. I had no idea where. Because Louisiana's mental health system is like a failing system. It's (laughs) really, really bad. It's incredibly hard to find anywhere in the juvenile system because I was only 16. So it was hard for them to find a place for me to stay. They had to find an open bed. And the closest one was in Lake Charles. So, after another few hours and my parents coming in and just, my dad was very mad at me and he yelled at me and he was like, I don't, yeah, he's like, I don't understand why you didn't tell us. And I was like, this is exactly why I didn't tell you Mm -hmm. because you're screaming at me. And at that point I felt lower than I had been when I had told the the mental health professional something, Mm -hmm. but you know, like. Killing myself was never something that I wanted to do, so I was still... You just wanted help. I just wanted help, so I was still just, like, sitting there, and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna see where this takes me. 
and, you know, so they found one bed at a place called Archer Institute. It was actually, it's newer, it's way newer for a mental health facility in Louisiana, and way nicer, and it's definitely the best place I could have ended up, and, um, when I was leaving the ER, I wasn't allowed to, like, walk with my mom or anything. I was just, like, sent into the ambulance for, like, a five-hour car ride by myself. To Lake Charles? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Midway through, the ambulance actually overheated, so we had to stop for, like, an hour, and then again for another three hours. I slept the whole way because of everything that I had been dealing with, so that could have been worse, and that could have been just, like, terrible, but luckily I slept. And then I got there at about 1 a.m., and went through, like, intake and everything, and being in an actual mental facility is way different than anything that anyone would see in a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, There aren't people screaming everywhere. That's what I thought was going to happen when I walked in. I thought people were just going to be, like, screaming. It was very quiet, and it was... The staff wasn't particularly nice. I know I was there at, like, 1 a.m., so they were tired, but, like, they were very mean to me. And I was by myself, and I was very scared. I didn't have any of my own belongings at all. That's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask, at what point did they did they take everything? Like, could you contact your friends? You didn't have your phone, I'm guessing. I wasn't allowed to contact any friends, any um, partners, anyone. I could only contact my family. But you had your phone? or I didn't you... have my phone. Okay, they would just let you call My phone was gone. Um, all of my stuff was taken from me in the ER. So the only thing I had was, like, underwear and then disposable scrubs. So that's what I went in, and it was just atrocious to look at. It was really, really, really bad. And I I just, I felt so dehumanized at that point. And then I checked in and everything, and it took, like, an hour to get through intake. One dude was really nice. I'll give him credit. But the other lady was not nice. And I got in. I went up to the juvenile facility, and one of the nurses, like, checked me in, and she was very helpful and very kind to me, which I appreciated, and I was, like, put in my room with my roommate, who was another girl, and I was terrified, and I started crying immediately, and then I had to go into the bathroom, and they did a strip search on me, and then they also made me squat and cough, which was terrible. And I had never, ever, I, like, sobbed the whole time because I had never felt so dehumanized by somebody. That's like a, I just don't know any other word. It would, it would, it's something that, like, prisoners go through when entering jail. And, like, I was, I'm not a prisoner in that situation. I was a patient. But that night I just... I pretty much just zoned out from anything I possibly could and just tried to sleep. And, you know, like, comfort level was not there. I had, like, a styrofoam, uh, like, a fluffy styrofoam mattress. Uh, I had one pillow, very, very thin pillow, and I had, like, a small blanket, and that's, like, pretty much all I had. Um, The next day, my mom actually did come up to visit me. She drove um, five hours to come and visit me and drop off clothes for me because I needed clothes. And luckily, Mandeville has the t-shirts 
lower than the butt thing because if not <laughs> I would not be allowed to wear leggings there oh. so all of my t-shirts were long enough and I could That's wear leggings Thank it, you, was, High. it was great <laughs> they did one thing right so you know being in there it was very weird I realized that I was a lot better off than a lot of the children in there were the youngest person was like four years old oh my gosh. and it, that's something that's really crazy mm. to deal with and I I was the oldest one mm-hmm. did you get to talk to them I did get to talk to them I followed the rules more strictly than a lot of other people did I was told that I was not supposed to say why I was there at all and I didn't but people opened up to me and told me why they were there mm-hmm. and one dude I mean he like slid his wrists another girl tried to kill her boyfriend that was my roommate so that was quite scary and then I got sick because she had some kind of bug whenever she came in so I was up all night throwing up and you know it was it was just a lot more calm than what you would expect like off of like movies and stuff of like psychiatric hospitals it was pretty chill there was only about two nurses the rest of the people were like They weren't even CNAs. They weren't even, like, a nursing assistant. They were just people who were basically there to watch over us. So, there was two nurses. Then there was, like, eight people that were just there to watch over us. There was a phlebotomist or two to take blood. And immediately as I got there, I was put on medicine. So, while it's, like, a negative, but it was also a positive for me. Because going on, like, Zoloft and stuff really helped me balance out all the chemicals in my brain. Like, it made me feel so much better. And then there was also a psychiatrist. So that was the whole staff there, along with social workers who were there to help you get home, basically. I mean, there were people who were there for weeks before I had gotten there. Mm-hmm. I was only on a on a mandatory 72-hour hold. Oh, wow. Okay. So I think they knew that I wasn't supposed to be there for a long time. The psychiatrist there, he had no idea why I was there. He knew that I had some kind of suicide thing after talking to me. He was like, this was purely precautionary, and mm-hmm. I don't think it needed to happen. And I was like, yeah, but, you yeah. know, at least I was there to kind of get recognized for something that I really needed help with. Yeah. So it was a blessing and a curse at the same time. It was very traumatic. I developed PTSD from it. Oh. So but how long did you end up staying there? I was there for three days, three nights. Maybe four nights? I don't know. About four days because of how long it takes to, like, get there. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that did really shock me was group therapy. It is not, like, sit in a circle and talk about your feelings. It was, like, doing random activities and you're forced to participate in it. Or, you know, you could have your stay extended, which was ridiculous. Right. But it was like drawing pictures or painting pictures and then one day it was like doing a packet of like kindergarten school work luckily that was the day i checked out so i only do 10 minutes <laughs> of it so random. instead of what? an hour it was about to I be mean, an maybe hour there's like something behind that but that's just weird no idea word <laughs> searches and there was something on taxes though okay very simple taxes like sales tax <laughs> but like it was very confusing and it was just you know There I did, like, have my first sense of support, though, from, like, the psychiatrists and the staff there. They were all really nice, except for the intake people. I did not enjoy them. But all of the nurses and stuff were very nice and very understanding. 
one of them stayed up with me when I couldn't sleep. Like, they were just really great people, and I definitely could have gone to a worse place, so I'm very thankful that I went to a place that was newer and was following more modern medicine instead of, like, an old psychiatric hospital. Yeah, and with Louisiana's healthcare system, it seems like it just could have been worse. I mean, yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. It's so bad. And, you know, I, overall, the experience was very traumatic for me, but it has made me stronger as a person. Um, Going back home after it was actually very challenging because I had adapted to a whole new way of life. And even though it was only four days long, it felt like it had just altered my every move. I didn't go back to school for like a week. I didn't tell people when I got back to school. No one knew because I just didn't, I didn't want anybody to think of me as like a crazy person or like to think of me as anything less than what I was. So I just didn't tell anyone. Did you just say you were sick? Yeah, I just told I was sick. And then the teachers that I trusted, um, I told them what happened so they could understand um, with my like makeup work and everything. Which I didn't have to do. I was exempted from. Oh it was gosh, great. That's good. That was a, one good thing to come out that of it. Good, yeah. But you know, I I really tried. The only person that really did not at all try to help me was my algebra two teacher. I will not <laughs> name drop her, but if you know me, you probably know who I'm talking about. She was. Yeah, she she had given me multiple panic attacks because she just did not care at yeah. all. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't going to tell her at all where I was. And then I told her one day because I was like, this has got to stop. Like, yeah. she's got to know what's going on. And then she told me that I need to stop making excuses. Oh, my <laughs> so, gosh. So, I was like, at that point, I was done. Like, yeah, I was yeah. really done with her. I tried to switch out of her class. I ended up staying. Thank God for Corona. That was my first thought. Yeah. That I wasn't going to have to go back to her class. <laughs> she so was funny. just terrible. But a lot of my teachers were very, very supportive of me. And, like, it was really hard to adapt and go back to my old way of life because of how traumatic it was for me. Like, I would experience, yeah. like, nightmares and stuff about being back there just because I was almost forced there against my will. And it's very scary being alone. And, like, one day, like, you're, like, hanging out with your friends and everything, and then the next day, like, you're missing your boyfriend's football game because you're on the way to Lake Charles, and he right. has no idea. Right. So. Did you, do you have any friends that came back that you were close to that were concerned or confused that you hadn't been on your phone for the past few days? Um, yeah. I, I had a few people that I knew. So did you tell them, or? I told people depending on how close I was right. to them. okay. okay. I... Some people that I had been close with my whole life, I told. One of my best friends was actually staying at my house while I was there, and she, like, stayed with me while I got back. That's good. So, that was really great. And then, I think my mom told a lot of the close friends, because I told her to tell some people, Mm -hmm. so they weren't worried. Right. And everything. But a lot of people, I just told them I was sick, and they they listened to me, Mm -hmm. you know? Do you think that, because obviously you were kind of brought there against your will, um looking back do you think like are you glad that that happened or do you wish there were another way it could have happened or and if and if you do wish there were a different way it had happened what would that have looked like I'm I'm glad that it happened in a sense that my parents actually took what I was saying seriously Mm -hmm. 
Because, you know, when somebody tells you that you have to spend $10,000 on your daughter staying somewhere, you're going to actually look at her and be like, maybe I need to help her. Yeah. You know? I, I do think it could have been handled better in a sense that my parents and I could have had a facilitated converse, conversation with a mental health professional about what I was going through and getting me help. I think that that would have worked just the same. Um, so y'all didn't have a sit-down conversation? No. I, no, no. We didn't have a sit- My mom basically was just told that I had to go. I didn't have an option. My dad no one had an option or like not even an option but a discussion like here are your options in general you could do this this or this we didn't have a discussion it was it was we were gonna bring it up to like the state legislator for a while but we just decided not to because i just wasn't ready for like people to know what happened yet so you are glad that ended up happening because you got taken seriously i am glad that it ended up happening but I'm sad that I have so much trauma from it. Yeah. It's, it's It was a very dramatic experience. Did you get to talk to somebody while, y'all, while you were there a couple Yeah, times? so I had a psychiatrist, and then I also had a social worker who... The psychiatrist helped me with, like, my medicine, helped me with how I was feeling, tried to help me figure out why I was feeling the way I did. And then my social worker talked to me a lot about how I was feeling and then helped me transition back to being at home. And... He really did help me a lot. And he he had conversations with my parents and I, and, like, we were able to come to an understanding. Did you you get to keep talking to somebody when you got home? Yeah. So, through, in order for me to leave, I had to have some kind of therapist lined up, some kind of psychiatrist lined up. So, um, they set up that for me with my health insurance, and I was able to find someone to talk to. And I, I still go to them. Yeah, I was going to say, has your experience with that been overall positive? I, I still go to them. I don't, I'm currently in search for a new therapist, oh, okay. but, you know, it it has helped me. I haven't gotten any worse or anything. I've, yeah. I've definitely gotten better. Um. So when you got back and you told some of your friends and stuff, do you feel like there were, because I feel like situations like that, people always say like trauma either, you know, makes or breaks you. So do you feel like there were people that you really got closer to because of it or maybe people that kind of fell away because they didn't know how to handle it um it was almost I mean there was there's there's definitely some of the same things uh one of my relationships had been failing for a while and it was kind of the final straw almost like after like a month after we ended up breaking up so I think that we both just realized that we did not we weren't the right people for each other and we both needed to go our separate ways and I think it it was a bad breakup but you know I'm grateful for him being in my life because he taught me basically what I wanted and what I didn't want in a relationship and then some of my friends who didn't take me as seriously or blamed me for the way I was feeling did listen to me but then eventually dropped off so I lost a lot of friends, and I wouldn't say it was necessarily because of this, but growing apart also just happens. Yeah, yeah, it's high school. Yeah, it, it's inevitable. Yeah, I grew apart with a lot of people that I had been close with my entire life, and just because we're different people now, and I didn't want the same things they did, and I don't really follow the same crowd or anything, so I broke off from those people. I'm a lot happier now. Yeah, that's with, great. With a great set of friends. And I was able to grow closer with people who I did feel safe with. That's important. And I think when you go through something 
Um, I had gone through something a few summers ago, and it was just a big thing. Uh, someone I knew, like, had committed suicide. And in those moments, when you're in those, like, parts of your life, it's, like, the people who are there for you and experience it that with you, even if they don't have the same connection, you know what I mean? Yeah. But if they're there for you, it it's, like, it's almost as if the people that weren't there for you, they'll never understand that part of you. Or they'll never... Um, there's just a gap, and if they don't have the desire to empathize with what you experience from that then there's just some there's just always going to be a, a gap in the, the the relationship so yeah um I definitely think that it's good though that you found people you feel safe with because um it's something that is pro- you're probably going to continue to need yeah. people to lean on for uh, lean on to um okay so in retrospect um well how are you doing now I'm doing a lot better like I'm still I wouldn't say I'm struggling as much with being depressed anxiety is just very hard for me because you know it just it's triggered by so many random things and like I'm constantly switching on new medications because of a lot of health problems that I'm having and all of them are affecting my antidepressants or any of my medication that has to do with my mental health in a negative way so it's been it's been hard to like deal with changes in in my hormones but you know i'm i'm getting a lot better with it and i yeah. the anxiety is definitely going down from yeah. a few months ago so now that you've kind of gotten your help gotten help and been able to talk to people what was what's something that you would tell your younger maybe your fourth grade self i think just knowing your worth is very important like just because you're feeling some way does not mean that you are any less worth it than anyone else and you're still a person and you still mean a lot to people around you. So you had a lot of people that I'm sure have been good throughout your entire journey with um, mental health. Is there anyone that you want to thank or like if, is there anyone who um, has just like really been there for you and if you could thank them what would you say? Yes. Yeah, so my best friend Emma she was actually staying at my house because her parents were out of town. So she was staying at my house while that whole thing happened. And, you know, it was hard for her to go through just because I've grown up with her since fourth grade. Like, we've been inseparable and we've been best friends. And she really helped me because as soon as I got back, she made me feel so loved. Because she just stayed with me the whole time and she, like, made sure that I was okay And she helped me with anything that I needed with readjusting back into the life that I needed to live. And I think she knows how much she means to me. I've told her how thankful I am for her. Like, she she really means a lot to me. Um, Another person is Bridget Watson. Great friend. She is not the best with empathy, and she knows it. She's not good at comforting people. But having someone there to just be positive with you all the time it really 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 made me feel better and just having another person like I've known her for 12 years she's always been in my life and she will always continue to try to help me in whatever way that she can even if it's really really hard for her she always helps me and she she really did help me a lot and even though Brandon wasn't with me throughout my experience going through the high through the hospital like we weren't together we didn't even know each other um he helped me a lot dealing with it after whenever we met and everything he really made me feel like I was valued and he showed me what I wanted in a person 
because he makes me feel like I am loved more than anyone else. And he cares about me more than just for my body. And he loves me for who I am. And he always tries to help me in whatever way he can. Like, even if it's really hard for him, like, he will always try to do everything he can to help me. And I think he knows how important he is. Like, I, I think he knows how much he's helped me. But, like, I am very grateful for it. And it's interesting what you said, too, about um, your friend not being, like, naturally empathetic. Because I think it's important that people know that you don't have to be naturally empathetic or naturally um, nurturing or whatever yeah. to just be there for somebody. Sometimes, like, something you just need somebody that's there. And it doesn't matter what your personality is. They just You just need somebody to yeah. try to understand. You just, you just need someone to be there for you and be positive. Because... You know, I don't necessarily want everyone to be my therapist, and I don't yeah. want to just talk to everyone and have... Well, I don't expect people to have solutions for me. So just having people that are positive in my life makes me feel a lot better. And I tend to struggle a lot more with my mental health when I have people who treat me negatively. Yeah. So we talked a little bit before about... Um, before we started recording about the stigma behind it and how people just assume if you go to the hospital or something like that, um, they just assume things. And it's usually unfair assumptions. Um, So what do you wish more people knew about mental illness uh, and, like, the stigma around it? So I think it's very important to realize that not all people who are dealing with some kind of mental illness are immediately suicidal. I feel like a lot of people have a stigma with with depression that they that someone's feeling suicidal. Depression comes in so many different forms. Like one person may just have trouble being motivated or one person may just, you know, want to stay in their bed all day. Just because somebody has depressive episodes does not mean that they want to kill themselves. Obviously, if they make any kind of threat, it needs to be taken seriously, but Instead of looking at people, like, you know, expecting them to want to kill themselves or expecting them to be suicidal, I think we need to look at them and just understand why they're feeling that way and try to help them. I wasn't sure if I was going to say this, but um, I think there's definitely a stigma around both depression and anxiety, but something I found is that a lot of times people will say, people just really throw the word anxiety around like it's candy. And um, I've noticed a lot of people say... um, I just get, I'm just, I just have a lot of anxiety, or I have OCD, people say that, like, stuff like that, um, and it's just interesting to me, because it's almost synonymous in some people's minds, I think, to, like, hardworking, like, someone's like, oh, I'm anxious, it's just because I'm, like, a type A personality, and I just like to be good at school, so I just get anxious really easily, yeah, but then, like, (laughs) but then, like, depression, it's almost, like, looked at as, like, oh, you're just lazy, or, like, you don't, Um, Yeah, yeah, you don't have any motivation. And it's so interesting to me because it's like, I don't know when that happened or why that happened. But people, yeah, they almost use anxiety as like a, like, a compliment. And like, oh, I'm just anxious because I just am a hard worker. People really use it as like a quirky characteristic now. Like, you know, and there really is a stigma around people who are depressive being like lazy. Mm -hmm. You know, and like I... Something that I I say a lot is my room is kind of an accurate representation of how my mind is at the moment. So, like, when my room is clean, I feel like my mind is pretty unclouded. But when my room is dirty, I'm getting more sad and, like, anxious. But, yeah, I just wanted to, since you had kind of touched on that and, like, the stigma behind it. um... I mean, there's also a stigma with, like, 
psychiatric hospitals, specifically yeah. fueled from TV shows. Um, a lot of people do depict people in there as being insane or like, you know, being like sociopaths, psychopaths, people who can't control themselves. But most of the people who are in psychiatric hospitals are there because of some kind of depressive thing or suicide. Most people, I mean, schizophrenia is very common as well, but I I can say that I wasn't really around anyone who was like a psychopath or anything. Most people yeah. were in there for depression. You know, if I wouldn't have felt so negative yeah. going towards it because I that's what I thought it was going to be like. I thought it was people were going to be crazy mm-hmm. and like it was going to be a terrible experience, but like if I would have been described the psychiatric hospital as something that could really help a person, yeah. I think I would have been way more right. willing to go. And that's why the stigma is so important to break because yeah. you hear, like, these things about people being crazy and then you're like, okay, well, I don't want to go there. So you do everything to repress the feelings you have and convince yourself that you're okay and then it gets worse and worse and that's, like, when we have, you know, suicides and stuff because nobody gets – they can't get help. They don't feel like they can be helped. And I think another thing that just kind of what I'm hearing from what you've said is it's so important – to um to treat people not like they're a product or a problem or a burden but like they're a human and um I just it sounds like you had encounter after encounter with people that weren't doing that and um, I think that's like an important lesson for everyone to learn just to have more empathy to to this day I my biggest problem with depression is feeling like I'm a burden Mm -hmm. and I, I really think it's just because of the situation you know I mean, like, as I was growing up, I didn't really feel like a lot of people really liked me, or I felt like I was, like, shy, and, like, I didn't think people really wanted anything to do with me, so it still kind of affects me, because I I feel like I'm a burden to a lot of people, like, if I do one thing to aggravate someone, I feel like they just don't want me there, and, you know, like, overthinking, to me, really is an aspect of, like, my depression and my anxiety, more anxiety, because I'm overthinking and everything, and I'm, like, wondering what's gonna go wrong, and you know, that's my biggest obstacle still is feeling like a burden to people, but I'm getting a lot better at it because I'm surrounded by people who are positive, like my friend group. They, they make me very, very happy. And what you're doing, just even like sharing this, I know that yeah. when we talk, you haven't really told many people all of this. Yeah, no, I haven't really told anyone. The only people who may know are my close friends and even some of them may not know. It's just something that I think needs to be shared because I think people would look at me as just a normal person and they wouldn't expect anything like this from me. But it kind of just shows that not everyone's picture perfect and everything. And actually no one's picture perfect. And like everyone has their problems and everyone has stuff going on behind the scenes. And to have this false idea based on what social media, like are we really going to buy into that? Like the tiny little squares that tell you that everything is filtered. Like that's what we're going to believe rather than um, empathizing. And just with the possibility, like you just don't know anyone's story. So I just think what you're, Obviously, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Um, because I think that anyone who's listening, even if they don't think they've had struggles with it or they just haven't, um, or if they have, like, I just think anyone listening can get, learn and gain a lot and um, educate themselves. It's, so it's very important to have some kind of perspective on, because, you know, you may be able to take this information and help someone else yeah. who may need help. 
where maybe just try to help them at the source like try to get them a therapist try to just be understanding towards them a lot of the times people who are depressed really just want someone to listen to them Mm -hmm. i they just want somebody to affirm that what they're feeling is irrational and you know it's not it's not wrong they're okay for feeling the way that they do yeah well thank you so much for being here you're welcome it's been so great hearing your story i mean it's like i've i just had chills the entire time it's so powerful and like hearing you speak about it from a place of like you've grown but you're still growing it's really inspiring i mean i i think that i'm not letting things like this limit me like i i still have big dreams for myself and like i still like am working so hard to succeed you know it just I'm not letting stuff like this limit me, and I think that it's important for people to know that they're not defined by just, like, their mental illnesses, like, yeah. you know? Okay, well, I could talk to you forever. Like, I, I keep saying, like, thank you I know. For I'm a very talkative <laughs> no, person. No, me too. I, I could, that's why I do this. I, like, could talk to you forever. But thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, this has been so awesome, and, um, yeah, thank you for sharing your story. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>